Psalm 90. That will be our scripture reading for this morning. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as if with a flood, they like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The reading of God's word for your edification, amen. God's word is awesome and it is powerful. I'm, I'm excited I don't know if I can be excited for this, but I'm excited for uh, the opportunity to preach through this psalm with you uh, this morning. But I want to be honest to say uh, that it's, it's, a, it's a sober psalm. It's pretty sober. And uh, so I want you to hang in there with me. I'm giving you a fair warning as we start this together. I talked with Pastor Tim this morning, and we were talking back and forth. And this is a psalm that uh, in England, it actually became popular to be read at funerals, but Pastor Tim reminds me that this is a psalm for the living. This is a psalm for us. This will help us to be sober-minded in our approach to life. So I'm giving you a fair warning, but I will also say this. There is an incredible prayer at the end of this psalm that we're going to pray together today. And as we get to the end, we'll pray this prayer together. And that prayer is all about God establishing the work of our hands. God giving our life meaning and purpose. Not just for this life, but 10,000 years from now. That you can live a life here in, in, on this side of eternity that will matter forever. That God makes that possible. And that's what all of us desire is to live a life of meaning, not just now, but forever. And our eternal God can make that possible. And so that's what we're going to pray as we come to an end um, of this psalm today. So, so fair warning up front, I just want to kind of put that out there. So over the last several weeks, we've been in a sort of mini-series uh, talking about how we can have immovable faith. We've been discussing immovable faith in seasons of life where there is upheaval. And we've all experienced this at times in life where life doesn't go quite according to plan. And there's these moments in life that are filled with upheaval. And we've been looking at the Psalms. 
to kind of encourage us and to strengthen us in those moments. And I'll tell you what, there is nothing like the Psalms to do that. The Psalms are so incredible and so powerful. There are times when you read the Psalms and you think to yourself, can you actually say that to God? Can you actually pray that honestly? And I'm so encouraged that as we look at God's Word that we can. We can pray honestly before God, and it enables us to pray authentically and to tell God what's on our heart, to cast our anxieties on Him. And so we're going to continue to do that even today. We look at Psalm 67, Psalm 46, Psalm 150, and Psalm 131. And each of these psalms helped us to become immovable in our faith, in our trust, in our praise, and in our hope. And we'll finish this series by looking at Psalm 90 to discover the source of our immovable faith, which is found in our immovable God. We serve an immovable God. That the things that shape our lives, the things that are of concern to us, don't even cause God on His throne in heaven to die. We serve an immovable God who is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Amen? We serve an awesome God. So I think, at least as I read God's Word and I think about life, that as the people of God, we have this unique advantage in our approach to life compared to the rest of the world. That we have this eternal perspective that allows us to approach life differently than the way the rest of the world approaches their lives. They live life as if this is the only life that they will ever have. And if this is all they've got, you know, YOLO. You gotta make it count. You gotta make your life matter. You gotta, you know, and they live life just with this fear that this is all there is to their existence. But we're able to, as, as believers and as Christians, able to live life eternity. And able to live a life that doesn't just matter for today, but a life that will matter thousands of years from today. You know, as people in this world, we crave security, don't we? We crave security, and there is no greater place of safety and security than our homes. There is, and tell me if I'm not wrong about this, okay? There's nothing better than a Sunday afternoon nap. There's just nothing better than that. There's nothing better than Sunday afternoon pulling into your driveway, unloading the kids from the minivan. I'm talking about my life here now, okay? But you've been there too. Some of you have been there, and you will be there, God willing, someday as well. But there's nothing better when after getting all of the kids unloaded from the van, changing into something comfortable, and just relaxing in the safety of your home. You know that, that smell when you open the door? That to a stranger would be weird, but to you it's like, yes, that's my city. You know? <laughs> that's my smell. You know what I mean? That's, that's home for you. Well, at the beginning of this song, the writer reminds us that God is home. That in whatever season of life that we're facing, no matter how overwhelming it might be for us, that we can always run to the name of the Lord, which is a strong tower. That we can always turn to God and find our home in Him. 
whether it's like the Israelites who were wandering in the desert for 40 years or exiled in Babylon for 70 years. I'm sure they didn't feel like they had a home. But as they look back, they can realize that even when they were surrounded by their enemies, that God had always protected them, always cared for them, that God was their home. Not only is this true for those at the time of the writing of this psalm, but it continues to be true to every generation, as the psalmist says here in verses 1 and 2, that every generation that came before them, every generation even up until this generation right now and into the future, that God has been faithful to them in the past, as we've heard last week, and he'll continue to be faithful in the future. That's the source of our immovable hope, that God is our eternal dwelling place, that he is our home, that when you feel anxious in life, you can learn the value of running to God and finding your refuge in him. Because we've all experienced these moments of upheaval in life that have robbed us of our security and have robbed us of being able to feel at ease. And still we're reminded that in these moments of anxiousness and worry and fear and doubt of the future, in these moments of, if you will, feeling homeless in this world, we are to shake off temptation to find our home in our temporary situation and to be reminded that God is our dwelling place and he has been a dwelling place for all generations. God's presence is our home. Do you believe that? Do you know that to be true for yourself? So the psalmist continues to assure us of the certainty of our home being able to be found in God as we were reminded in verse 2 that before the mountains were brought forth or ever God had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, He is God. That God exists outside of time because God created time. That God has always existed from eternity Past. He is separate from creation because as the psalmist is helping us to learn, he is our creator, God. And the name that he refers to here as being God is the word El. Just God. It's just God in his generic sense that he is the creator, God. He is God over all things. He is God. And he is God and he is the creator of all things. So we are reminded that we can find our home in God, the God of all creation, the God who formed the earth that gave birth to the mountains. For those of us who have the privilege of knowing God in this way, we don't have to fear being homeless because we're able to find our home in the eternal God of the universe. Amen? That's so comforting because there are so many times in life where we feel just that unease and unrest and man, it just would be so much better if we could just relax and you can in God's presence. So reminding ourselves of the eternal nature of God helps us cope with the ever-changing patterns of our lives. When we consider that our lives are constant and that we can't control much of our life, we're able to turn to the one who is in control. We're able to find our hope and our security in the eternal God. And since God is unmoved, 
we can also be unmoved, unmoved in our faith. So there's a good chance that there are people even this morning who have this feeling of homelessness, this feeling of being unsettled, and even at places where you feel typically that you're able to relax and exhale, anxiety still creeps into your heart and mind and robs you of the ability to relax, the ability to exhale. And so there's a good chance that there are those of us even this morning who feel that kind of unsettledness in our hearts. In these moments of difficulty, we are reminded of our immovable God in whom we are able to find our dwelling place. And as we're able to do that, our hearts become knit together with previous generations of believers who found themselves in positions of wandering in the wilderness or exiled from their homes. So it's with our eyes firmly fixed on God that the psalmist quickly shifts our attention to the brevity of our lives. You see, the the psalmist is going to take us on a journey here, and there's going to be some twists and turns along the way. And so as we look at how great our God is, the psalmist quickly shifts our attention to just how short our life is and how seemingly insignificant our life and how brief our life is. Because in comparison with the eternal God of the universe, we are forced to come to grips with just how small our existence really is. And in this section, the writer gives us a healthy dose of reality. And I'll be honest, initially it might seem like a tough pill to swallow, but if we're able to embrace just how short our life is, a heart of wisdom begins to develop within us and moves us to a place of hope. Of hope in our God. So to help you grasp the insignificance of our lives in comparison to the eternal God, the psalmist reminds us and begins this section by saying, You return man to dust. And say, Return, O children of man. Which reminds us of Adam in the garden when God formed him from the dust of the earth. But then shortly after the fall, God's words to Adam in Genesis 3 says, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We are dust. You feel good about that? Just so far, you're hanging there? All right, it's not me, the psalmist, okay? It's God and his word, so that's okay. But we are dust. It's It's gonna go deeper, though. Because after reminding us that we are dust, the psalmist goes further. And says, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, and when it is past, or as a watch in the night. As if comparing us to dust isn't enough, we are told that a thousand years is like a day to God, actually even less than that. It's like a watch in the night. That a thousand years to God is like four hours, just like that. You know, we look at the Old Testament and we read of the patriarchs. We read of people like Methuselah. What a name. 969 years old. What does that look like? What does a 969-year-old person look like? I would like to see Methuselah, right? I can imagine when I, yeah, when I think about like aging, getting old, 969, but to God, Methuselah's life was a Monday. 
We think of the Roman Empire, the longest lasting empire in history, over a thousand years. And God just waited until it no longer existed. Simply by his existence, God can crush empires because of God. All time is equal because he exists outside of time. So as if we don't get the picture here of just how small our existence is, the psalm continues by comparing our life to a flood. When a flood comes, it removes anything that was there and it leaves no trace of what was there previously. That is what our lives are like, that our life is gone and we leave no trace, nothing left to be shown for our lives. Or our life is like sleep, in which when we close our eyes, we are unconscious to the passing of time. And no sooner do we close our eyes, but do we feel them opening again to the start of a new day. Don't blink. That's what you've heard said before, right? If I hear somebody tell me one more time in the raising of my children, don't blink, it goes by so quick, I think I'm gonna have a breakdown. I get, like, I, I'm, I'm so fearful of that, that I'm gonna just miss out on every moment because we're always reminded of how short life really is. And finally, the psalmist goes on to compare us to grass in the desert, which at the start of the day is full of life but by morning has withered and given up to the sun's scorching heat. This paints a sobering picture for us and helps us understand how small we are in relation to the bigness of our God. And we may be tempted to shy away from this truth because it seems too much for us to bear. However, if we have the guts to grasp, try to grasp the vastness of God, wisdom begins to enter our heart and teach us then how to live a life of meaning. So now I know that we're gonna be tempted to, to check out from this portion, but I wanna encourage you just to lean in a little bit more with me because it's gonna get worse before it gets better, okay? I'm giving you fair warning. We're going to round the corner, but we're about to take another turn, and it's going to seem like it's going to be even more of like a, a reality check. So I want to encourage you to hang in there because what the psalmist is offering us is a life of meaning, a life of purpose, a life that can matter for eternity. So we get the picture, right? We are these small, finite creatures worshiping the eternal God of the universe, and it is mind-blowing. So not only is God infinite, not only are we small and weak, but if we don't live our entire life for God, take a breath with me, if we don't live our life for God, whatever we do with our life outside of that is meaningless. It's meaningless, and you can see this in verses 7 through 10. You know, if we can manage to live a good life, then the shortness of life is somewhat bearable. However, in verses 7 through 10, it shows us how a short life is made worse when it's subject to the wrath of God. Attention shifts from the eternal God to, the, to God's righteous anger in dealing with the continuous rebellion of his people. Psalm 90 verse 8 gives us a reason for God's wrath. 
God has set our iniquities before him and our secret sins in the light of his presence. God sees everything. He knows the intentions of your heart. He knows the thoughts in your head. He judges every idle word. God knows everything, and we cannot hide from him. How is it possible then for God to be our dwelling place when we are actively living for ourselves and in sin against the all-holy eternal God of all creation? We are like Adam and Eve in the garden when they thought that they could conceal their nakedness from God after sinning. And in this psalm, it's as if God is putting our nakedness on display and we go on denying it like it's untrue. Or better, it's, it's like children, trust me, I know this to be true, caught in the act of disobedience, caught red-handed, and yet somehow clinging to the lie, it wasn't me, but I saw you hit your brother, right? I watched you do it. And here we are living our life for ourselves, and someday we will stand before the all-holy God of the universe and have to give an account as to why we made the decisions that we made and lived the way that we lived, and we can't point to somebody else. We can't say, it wasn't me. God sees everything. And in verse 9, it says that all of our days pass away under God's wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. For the finite creature living in rebellion against the infinite God is futile. And a life lived for ourselves, the psalmist is warning us, is meaningless. We end up in a wrestling match with God, trying to give meaning to our lives by living it for ourselves. But the immovable God in his grace and in his love for his people the immovable God undoes the work of our hands, making our work nothing more than toil and trouble. God is constantly in the psalm here frustrating the plans of his wayward people with the hope of provoking them to a place where they would respond correctly. He continues to undo the work of the hands of his people so that they would turn from what they were doing and that they would live from him. And if, if I haven't gotten the point across, if the psalm hasn't helped us understand this, God's got time on his hands. So we can continue to go on being stubborn and living our lives for ourselves. but God is patient. And as the psalmist tells us here, we have 70 years, and if we're lucky, maybe even 80 years by reason of strength. I want to just kind of take a breath for a second and say that the psalmist isn't making us aware of something that is untrue, right? Like this is true. This is what life looks like, and we can try to put, put a facade over it and make it seem like things are okay, but at the end of the day, the only thing we're ignoring is the reality of, of, of who God is, of how short our lives are, and how meaningless some of the things we get caught up in doing with our lives the psalmist is just simply helping us get a picture of what reality actually looks like. He's attempting to awaken us to the somewhat meaninglessness of our lives if we live it under the wrath of God. He's trying to awaken us to that so that way we can move to a place where we can number our days and get a heart of wisdom so that we can actually live a life that matters. And that's what we want. 
is to live a life that matters, to have a meaningful life. And in verses 11 through 12, we're given an answer, an answer for how we can live a life of meaning. And it's offered to us in the form of a question. It says, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? The truth is that no one actually really considers the power of God's anger because it would be too much for us to bear. The only person who ever fully experienced the wrath of God was Jesus on the cross. God and his grace to us as believers and even to the world, unbelievers, God continues to let us go on living our lives even when there are people who mock God who mock God, and they don't even realize that the breath that they used to mock God was given to them by him. We never really consider God's hatred of sin. We never really actually think about it. But by having the courage to consider God's wrath, it actually moves us to a place of faithfulness to God because we can see just how loving and kind and gracious he is that he would even have given us life, that he continues to allow our hearts to beat into our chest, that God gives us the ability to live and move and have our being. So the ability to ask this question of ourselves determines whether we are content to go on living blindly or if we desire to live a life full of meaning. And by honestly considering this question, the psalmist begins to take us down a path toward the direction of a life lived on purpose. So after asking this question, the psalmist says, Lord, God, teach us to number our days. Because by learning to number our days, we're able to gain a heart of wisdom and understanding. We're able to live in light of eternity. We know to stop treating the sin in our life as if it's inconsequential recognizing that the seemingly meaninglessness of our life may be the result of sin and living for oneself, we're able to round the corner. And by learning to number our days, we can acknowledge God and return to home and come back to God who is our dwelling place. We can stop living for ourselves as wayward children and we can finally, like the prodigal son, realize Maybe I should just go home. Maybe I should just return to God. Understanding all of this provides the opportunity to stop living a life of meaninglessness for oneself and to begin to live a life on purpose where what we will do will matter forever. By considering the eternal nature of God and embracing just how short life is and considering God's righteous anger deserved because of our sin, we can gain a heart of wisdom. And it's at this point where you and I can finally exhale. Because after having gained a heart of wisdom, the flow of the psalm once again is interrupted. And it begins to take this dramatic shift from praising God, acknowledging how life really is, and now it moves to a place of prayer for restoration and for God's favor. 
And we're going to pray for that together today, that we would number our days, gain a heart of wisdom, pray for restoration, that we might see God's favor on our lives and the work of our hands. You know, as you look at the psalm, you can see at the beginning that it's actually attributed to Moses, the man of God. And the way that it was written means, actually, though, that it likely wasn't written by Moses. It's debated. It could have been written by Moses, but it seems that it was likely written during the exile, 70 years in exile in Babylon, and they're thinking back to Moses. They're remembering something about Moses, that there's something unique about this man of God. And if we could maybe do what Moses did, if we would maybe follow Moses' example, maybe God would, would hear us. Because what is so unique about Moses, and Scripture says this, is that when Moses prayed, God changed his mind. I don't understand that. <laughs> I don't have, I mean, we talked about this last week. There are things that are just too marvelous for me. I can't understand how God and his sovereignty weaves the prayers of his children into his perfect plan. But when Moses prays, God listens and answers his prayer. Think back to Israel at the base of Mount Sinai as Moses is meeting with God. In the very presence of God, right at the base of the mountain, they form a golden calf. He comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments and hears them worshiping an idol. And God is about to take him out. And Moses asks that God would relent. And it says, so the Lord changed his mind. You know, if we think of our lives and take into account, and if what we come up with as we consider our life is realizing, man, I've lived a life a little bit at times that have seemed meaningless. And perhaps God is making me aware of that. We, like Moses, can pray, God, help, relent, change your mind. Change your mind so that way we can gain a heart of wisdom and live a life of meaning. And that is what we see happening here in Psalm 90. It moves from praising our eternal God to embracing the brevity of life while subject to God's wrath so that we can learn to number our days and gain a heart of wisdom. And now not only can man or us as Believers call out to God, the God that we see here at the beginning of Psalm 90, but the name of God shifts in the prayer to Yahweh, the personal name of God, that we can address God like one of his children and ask that he would relent. How long will it be? And the psalmist continues to pray, make us glad, give us your favor, and perhaps the most profound part of the prayer, the most bold part of the prayer, the prayer that I want you and I to pray, establish the work of our hands. God, make our lives matter. Make our lives matter, not just for today, but forever. God, make my life count for eternity. How bold that we, the created, can cry out to the creator and say, God, do something with my life that makes a difference. Use me, God. Establish the work of our hands. Our infinite God makes our seemingly meaningless life matter for eternity. 
And right here at the end of Psalm 90 in this prayer, we're offered a complete reversal of the finitude of our lives. No longer are we dust or is our life brief and meaningless. No longer are we like grass that withers. Once again, we have returned to God and found him to be our dwelling place and we can cry out to him like Moses and ask that he would establish the work of our hands. Let's pray that together today, amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, God, I thank you, God, for your word. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning that just seems like such a gut check, but Lord, is filled with so many incredible promises. God, teach us to number our days, Lord, as the psalmist says, that we can gain a heart of wisdom. God, satisfy us with your steadfast love. Make us glad, Lord. Let your work be shown, Lord, through this church, through our lives as your believers. God, that we would rejoice and even our children would see how awesome you are. Let your work be shown through us, Father, and let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Lord, make what we do with our lives matter, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're gonna play a song. We have a song. We don't have a, the worship team, but there's actually a psalm, Psalm 90, a song written that you can listen to. I'd encourage you to listen to it this week, but we're going to play this. And as we play this psalm, there's going to be people, Pastor Tim, I don't know if Dirk, you can maybe come up front. If you would like prayer that God would make your life matter, I want to encourage, be brave, step out, step out and come and receive prayer this morning as we listen to this psalm together. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Psalm 90. Lord, what an incredible psalm. What a movement through that song that Pastor Kyle brought out for us. Lord, how great you are, how infinite you are, how eternal you are. And Lord, in comparison, we're like grass. Here today, gone tomorrow. But yet you love us so much. And even though you see all of our wrongdoings, even though you see all of what we do that is sinful in our transgressions, Lord, you have forgiven us. You have made us whiter than snow because of the blood of Jesus spilled for us. Lord, so we can confidently pray to you. We can come boldly and ask that your anger, Lord, will diminish, that your favor will be upon us, Lord, that we will remember Romans 8, 1, that there is therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And we will leave here today again persuaded with confidence that our Yahweh loves us. Therefore, we can say no to pride and arrogance and selfish ambition. We can have a soul that is weaned and no longer agitated but at rest. And we can have faith for the future because we know our great God has been faithful in our past. Lord, would you fill our hearts? There's some here, I'm sure, that need to be persuaded of that. Lord, persuade them of that. And as we leave, Lord, may we leave with our hearts full of truth from your word that will saturate us and stay with us day after day after day and be ready to share it with other people. Into the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.